Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to The Daily Sunup. The Daily Sunup podcast is a conversation with the Colorado Sun. See our trust indicators at coloradosun.com slash ethics. It's Thursday, January 4th. Today, from the Temperature, Climate, and Health newsletter, John Ingold and Michael Booth talk about a big hospital takeover and the remarkable success of e-bike programs across Colorado. Before we begin, join the Colorado Sun as it brings the series High Cost of Colorado to the virtual stage. Discussions will include conversation around the high cost of housing, food, personal entertainment, the strain on Coloradans' budgets, and what's bothering our readers. Join for free on January 16th and RSVP today at coloradosun.com slash events. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. On this day in 1941, a contract was signed in Washington, D.C. for the construction of the Denver Ordnance Plant, a major armament facility on a cattle ranch in Jefferson County. This decision marked a significant contribution to Colorado's growth during World War II. Despite initial American reluctance to join the war, President Franklin Roosevelt emphasized preparedness. The U.S. Department of War, partnering with Remington Arms Company, invested $122 million in this project. By October, the first phase was complete, and just after the Pearl Harbor attack, the plant had already produced 14 million rounds of ammunition. By 1943, it employed 20,000 people, working tirelessly to produce millions of rounds daily. The plant, along with other Colorado-based military and industrial operations, bolstered the state's economy. Although the Denver Ordnance Plant shut down in 1944, the site continued to be used for manufacturing until the end of World War II. Post-war, it transformed into the Denver Federal Center, a major government office hub outside Washington, D.C. Before we continue, a quick thank you to our members who make it possible for the Colorado Sun to bring you your news about our beautiful, complex state. If you aren't yet a member, consider joining now to support local journalism and gain access to member newsletters. Start your membership today at coloradosun.com join. Next, our feature story. Happy Thursday, everybody. Thank you for joining the Temperature podcast for this week, based on our Wednesday newsletter, The Temperature, which tries to combine news of climate and health in ways that is useful and informative to everybody. Thanks for joining with us for a new year in 2024. Happy New Year, John. Yeah, Happy New Year to you too, Mike. And this week, we are going to be talking about a couple things, e-bikes, but starting with you, we're going to be talking about the continuing growth of the UC Health System, which keeps getting enormously bigger. You had some pretty amazing numbers in your piece on both the website and in the temperature newsletter. Um, they have most recently made a big acquisition, or at least an acquisition of the management duties for Pueblo. So tell us more about that. Yeah, so this concerns uh, a hospital uh, down in Pueblo called the Parkview Medical Center, the Parkview Health System. It has some uh, affiliated clinics and, and other things. Uh, and it's one of two major hospitals in Pueblo. And Pueblo just happened to be, in terms of large cities along the front range, pretty much the only place where UC Health uh, didn't have presence. So Parkview had been um, like a lot of other independent hospitals, a lot of hospitals that aren't in the biggest of the biggest cities in, in Colorado. Uh, Parkview had been struggling financially and had been losing uh, money on the order of uh, tens of millions of dollars a year for the last couple of years. And so there were uh, some concerns, I think, about Parkview's ability to continue as a going concern. 
And uh, UC Health uh, was looking to continue to expand its footprint across the state. So the two sides uh, struck a merger. They're both uh, nonprofit. So there's not really uh, a transaction in terms of you know one side buying the other side here. This is a merger. UC Health uh, agreed to um, invest uh, a whole bunch of money uh, on the order of $175 million in Parkview over the next decade or so, and also made a $5 million donation to Parkview's uh, foundation. Uh, Parkview will continue to have its own uh, local governing board that'll have a say in day-to-day operations and will mostly be made up of people from the Pueblo area. But this is really another example of a a large Metro Denver health system. And and UC Health, in pretty much any way you would want to slice it now, is, is the largest system in Colorado. This is another example of one of those systems going out and uh, merging with, consolidating with um, uh, hospitals around the state. And, and so you just see kind of uh, the the consolidation of the hospital industry in Colorado continuing. They're really creating uh, such a huge revenue machine. You talked about them already having been past $7 billion in revenue at UC Health, and now this will add hundreds of millions of more in revenue. They're among the largest, if not the largest now, employers in the state with tens of thousands of employees. And this just gives them a lot of clout, a lot of power. And as we know, consumers don't usually pay or negotiate with hospitals directly. They're going through the insurance companies. What do the analysts tell you this does to the system of hospitals who are negotiating prices with the insurance companies who actually pay the bills? Yeah. So there's a, a lot of research has actually been done on this because hospital consolidation is a trend that we're seeing not just here in Colorado, but really nationally. And uh, the the research tends to show that when markets are more consolidated, that hospitals are able to charge higher prices and they're able to negotiate higher prices with insurance companies. And then that ends up leading to higher insurance prices. So that's really the concern here is that uh, this gives UC Health just such tremendous market power. Um, it it makes UC Health even more attractive if you're an employer who's trying to shop for a plan for your workers that you want to make sure you have access to their network. It just it gives them a lot more leverage in terms of uh, being able to charge higher prices. So that that's the concern that you would really see here with with consolidation and why this potentially might be cause for concern, even though obviously. It's also a financial lifeline to this hospital in Pueblo and allows people to continue being able to receive care locally in in that community. You've also got Phil Weiser, who works for a government that is in other places trying to limit prices, limit the clout of either insurance companies or hospitals and setting prices that they think are too high, trying to create alternative insurance products that will be cheaper for Coloradans. But in this case, the attorney general didn't feel uh, didn't feel the law was on his side in doing much about blocking this kind of merger. Yeah, so this is kind of interesting. Um, Wiser, as we know, kind of comes from a, a consumer protection legal background, does a lot of stuff in, in antitrust areas. Uh, so he did review this merger, but he reviewed it under the terms of something called the Colorado Hospital Transfer Act, which really limits this analysis to just two questions. And one question is, okay, is this merger going to change the charitable purpose of this organization? Which, no. You know, UC Health and 
and Parkview are both hospitals. So they're going to continue being hospitals. It's not going to to convert, uh, you know, Parkview into an Arby's or something. It's it's going to continue to provide medical care for the community. And then uh, the second question he can analyze is whether this will shift control of the assets uh, outside his jurisdiction. In other words, is this going to be some like national out-of-state entity coming in and scooping up a Colorado hospital and basically like taking it out of state? And again, these are both Colorado entities, so the answer here is no. Um, he does have the ability to look at whether this could harm uh, access and availability of care. So in other words, if, if UC Health came in and said, you know, we're going to acquire Parkview and we're going to shut down like all these clinics and all these lines of services, then he might be able to say, okay, I'm not going to allow this. But instead, UC Health here has made uh, promises that they're going to uh, not only continue to maintain Parkview services, but they'll try to expand them. Uh, this is part of the the investment that they're they're making. They're trying to uh, in theory, expand services. And then if they were to limit services, if they were to decide that, okay, Parkview, you're not going to do XYZ kind of care. You know, you're not going to do maternity care. You're not going to do cancer care. This is something they would have to consult with that, that local governing board with. So, uh, based on that, uh, Weiser and, and his people felt like there were sufficient safeguards in place to uh, allow this merger to go ahead and and didn't really have to even get into this question of, okay, what does this do to the market power of UC Health? Does this give UC Health unfair competitive advantage in the market? So, Mike, I, I want to turn here and we're going to focus on uh, something that was really kind of all the rage last year and, and looks poised to be the same again this year, which is e-bikes and some of the voucher programs that uh, the state and cities around the, the state have put together. So there's some data out on how many people are actually using them. And, and why don't you tell us more about that? We called it the year of the e-bike in the newsletter because it really was a pretty remarkable year for adoption of the e-bike as an alternative mode of transportation, at least if not necessarily for commuting to work every day through the snow, but at least for getting rid of a gasoline-fueled car for a lot of errands. A lot of interest in buying these bikes for both work and for uh, errands and for recreation. And part of the reason for that is because the government keeps giving away these very lucrative rebates and subsidies for being able to buy one. So you can get a one or $2,000 e-bike at up to half off or more in some cases if you're lower income. And the energy office put out a report on how things have gone for them in the first year of a program that they started where they had $9 million to give away in vouchers to people throughout the state. Some cities have done this on their own, like Denver, with their own money, but the, the state government wanted to give a program where everybody around the state who didn't live in a city that had advantage of doing this uh, to participate and get the same kind of lucrative discounts and tax credits. So what they're reporting is that they ended up giving away 4,520 rebates in 54 counties across the state for a total of giving away $5.4 million in aid so far. They still got a couple million left to figure out how to distribute equitably in 2024. And they did some statistics on the kind of people who decided to go for the rebates, and they are very pleased with that. They One of the things they always want to know is redemption rates. So a lot of people sign up for a voucher and something like this then not necessarily redeem it. And then it expires, they turn it back in, 
and then the government has to find a way to give it back out again. They expected a 65% redemption rate on their first few rounds of vouchers. And what they got instead was 87% of the people who had signed up for the voucher actually turned them in and bought the e-bike. So, and for lower income people who are getting a more lucrative voucher at up to $1,100, 92% of those folks have been turning them in and actually getting the bike. So they're very pleased with that. That means that they're running a very desirable program, a program that is more likely to have the intended effect of getting people to replace gasoline trips with clean electric bicycle trips. Very pleased about that. A couple other statistics that jumped out from the program was their the interest in rural areas. They had 20% of the voucher requests coming from rural areas, whereas only 14% of the state's population resides in rural areas. So they are getting extra interest in that. It's not just a city bike program. 